Welcome to Hot Darren Maloney. Today is Friday, July 22nd, 2022. So Joe Biden has COVID. The uber-vaccinated Joe Biden, the president that said a year ago, if you get vaccinated, this virus will stop. Well, he's got COVID. So much for that. And this is just indicative about the mess that Washington had presented to us. And the day of reckoning is coming for these people. We've got Anthony Fauci coming out and saying, yeah, I think I'm going to retire after Biden's term. Or maybe not, maybe yes. But here's what Fauci is doing. Fauci sees the writing on the wall. Fauci knows that once the Republicans take over in November, they're going to start hearings in January. And Fauci's going to be a target of those hearings because he created a mess. And he's playing this game that bureaucrats play. And, and I've seen it. I've dealt with it. You've got a, a bureaucrat that's been around for a while, and they're not doing well, and they may have done something that has warranted them being fired or disciplined. And the game that these people play is that, oh, you know, I think it about retiring. You know, just leave me alone. I'm going to be leaving in a year. So don't, don't pursue any disciplinary charges against me. And that's what Fauci is playing right now. Because he knows. He sees the writing on the wall. And the same thing with the Dr. Burks, Deborah Burks. She came out with a book several weeks ago. And all it is is her trying to get ahead of the curve on this thing, her trying to create this entire narrative with what she did under the Trump administration with the federal government's response to COVID. So she sees the, she sees the investigations coming. She's trying to present her own narrative. Hopefully it gets out there in the media. But it's, I think it's backfired. Well, first of all, I, you know, I think there's been only six or 7,000 books sold. Last time I checked, it was you know, six or 7,000 books that she sold. So we're not talking about a lot of people reading her narrative. But what we did pull out of this is that she is such a schemer. She essentially misled the president into the—, the Remember those first two-week lockdowns? We're just going to flatten the curve, just two weeks. Well, she had talked— the president into just those two weeks. And it was all based on information that she admits was sketchy at best. So all this information that she was pre presenting to the president for the first uh, two-week flatten-the-curve lockdown was really not based on science. It was ba based on what she thought it should be. Because she readily admits all the information that she was receiving particularly early on, which is not good, adequate at best. But you don't make those kind of decisions based on just adequate information. But that's not what she presented to Trump. And one thing she, she also admit, once she got the first two-week uh, shutdown, she was also already working on how to scheme to get that extended. The other thing I find problematic is that she had manipulated data, rewritten memos to make it appear that people with no symptoms that were asymptomatic could pass the virus on to somebody else. Remember that was early days. People were freaking out. Oh my God, it's a disease that you, you can get it. You don't know that you have it, but you can give it to somebody. Well, she created that narrative, which turned out to be not true. Now, additionally, she also altered 
CDC guidelines arbitrarily in a vacuum. But this is what she wanted. This, this, this is the problem with these bureaucrats. You cannot give this kind of power to bureaucrats. They don't have the capacity to use it. All she wanted is permanent lockdowns. That was her answer. Permanent, I don't care what happens. Let's, economics, I don't care. I just want to stovepipe this thing up and we're going to have lockdowns because my charge is to get rid of the virus. And the only way to get rid of the virus is to create economic calamity. But I don't care because I just want that virus dead. And that's what Dr. Burks's position was. And again, this is one of the reasons you never allow any of these bureaucrats to have this kind of power. And this is why when Trump comes back, the entire administrative state has to be dismantled because these bureaucrats only know a piece of the uh, bigger picture. They only know one tree in the forest, and they want that tree to be the only thing that guides the United States. And she became so overwhelmed with the lust for power that I think she lost herself. Now, the interesting thing is that she went on C uh, CNN, and she thought she oh, there was going to be open arms for her. Oh, come on, let's talk. And I think it was Jake Tapper during the interview, when, what she said, oh, there was, we had a lack of leadership with Donald Trump, and that was a problem, and that was a cause of uh, a lot of the problems that we had with COVID. And again, I think it was Tapper. He goes, well, wait a second, you were part of that leadership. You dropped the ball too. She wasn't expecting that. But this is what we have. We've got, they see it. These people, these bureaucrats, they see it. And that's one of the things that they allow them to last so long in the federal bureaucracy. They know the politics well. They see the politics changing, and Burks is trying to get ahead of the curve. Fauci's trying to create this thing. Ah, I'm retiring, so leave me alone. Well, that's not going to happen. Fauci's not going to be let alone. Burks is not going to be let alone. Everyone else is part of the CDC that misinformed us that likely extended this COVID crisis and essentially wrecked the economy. And it just doesn't, it, this, this does not end with the bureaucrats. This also includes the media too. Now, let me just read a quick article here. It's from the New York Post. And I just get a kick out of this thing. The headline reads, New York Times columnists admit to being wrong in a series of mea culpers. It says here, the New York Times on Thursday published a series of mea culpas from eight of its opinion columnists about a variety of topics, ranging from the inflation to Trump voters. I'm just going to talk about a couple. One of them was Paul Krugman. Paul Krugman is a self-anointed economic wizard. And he admitted he was wrong about inflation. And it says, for his part, Krugman admitted to getting it wrong when it comes to inflation, noting that he brushed off any fears that President Biden's $1.9 trillion rescue package could lead to inflation. Some warned that the package would be dangerously inflationary. Others were fairly relaxed. I was on team relaxed. As it turned out, of course, that was a very bad call, he wrote explaining that in the end, he underestimated the impact of the pandemic on the economy. 
Ha ha ha. Yo, forgive me. Forgive me. Ho ho ho. I don't think so. Then you had this other writer, Brett Stevens. I've actually never heard of him. And it says here in his essay, Stevens said he wrongly judged Trump supporters, initially taking broad swipes at them without understanding why they voted for former President Trump. Quote, what Trump supporters saw was a candidate whose entire being was a proudly raised middle finger at the self-satisfied elite that had produced a failing status quo, he wrote. I was blind to this. Stevens added that Trump's campaign flourished in a climate where his supporters felt unprotected and betrayed by the, the country. I could have thought a little harder about the fact in my dripping condensation toward the supporters. I was also confirming their suspicions about people like me, people who talked a good game about the virtues of empathy, but practiced it only selectively. People unscathed by the country's problems, yet unembarrassed to propound solutions, Stephen concluded. And they see it coming too. There's been reports out that people do not trust journalism. They don't trust the media. And they know the MAGA group is taking over. And they know that they've got to do something. They've got to get ahead of this curve. But I'm, what I'm telling you is these people will get no quarter. They have to be crushed, not physically, but they have to be all held accountable. So New York Times, uh, you, you want to do something? Fire these people. You want to get legitimacy back? Fire these people. Krugman, Stevens, take five years off. Come back when you've got a better frame of mind. But they're hoping people will forgive them. We can't forgive these people. We can't. They're part of this ideology that, that's tried to crush you and me. That tried to crush a president. And it's unacceptable. Oh, and on this topic, here's a really good article. And this is from Axios. And it says here, former President Trump's top allies are preparing to radically reshape the federal government, if he is reelected, purging potentially thousands of civil servants and filling career posts with loyalists to him and his America First ideology. People involved in the discussions tell Axios the impact could go well beyond typical conservative targets such as the Environmental Protection Agency and the Internal Revenue Service. Trump allies are working on plans that would potentially strip layers of the Justice Department including the FBI, and reaching into national security, intelligence, the State Department, and the Pentagon, sources close to the former presidency say. Now, I think Breitbart is saying that the plan includes up to 50,000 federal employees that will be fired. Um, I think that's a good start. I think there probably has to be more than that in order to purge the deep state and get rid of these bureaucratic hacks so that's good news, and, and I'm glad we came. I came across that today. It parlays right in what uh, I was talking about. So that that's really good news. Now, with that said, this has not gone unnoticed by the left. And as I have always been saying, we are likely in the most dangerous time between now and the November election in recent American history, because the left. And the deep state realize they are losing, and they will get desperate. 
as I previously said, we're seeing some capitulation from people in the media, from some bureaucrats hoping that we'll take it easy on them if they confess their sins. And as I said, we can't accept that. So what I want to do is I want to play a clip, and this is Noam Chomsky, the hero of the left. And as I've said before, uh, Chomsky is an extreme leftist. He's the hero of the left. And his cornerstone is that if you can control the language, you can control society. So let me just go to the clip, and then we'll come back and discuss. The course of future history, if there is to be any human history, which is very much in doubt, there is a narrow window in which we must implement measures to avert cataclysmic destruction of the environment. The crisis is coming to a head in Washington, in the most powerful state in world history. What happens in Washington now will determine the fate of the world for reasons too obvious to review. And Chomsky was addressing the American Solar Energy Society about two or three weeks ago in New Mexico. And Chomsky is sending out the warning signal. He knows that his side is losing. He knows that the Republicans will take over in November. And that leftists have a small window of opportunity to do something. Because he's saying that this will result in the extinction of the world. Kind of like what AOC said. We only had 12 years to live. Well, maybe she got that from Chomsky. But Chomsky is sending out a message here to the leftists, saying we've got a small window here. The Republicans are taking over. The Republicans are going to bring back drilling. They're going to reduce the cost of oil. Trump is on the horizon. Now, Chomsky has spent the last three or four or five years just blaming Trump for everything. And he knows Trump is coming back. So he's sending out a message to his minions, the people that listen to him, the violent people, Antifa, BLM, the attorneys in Washington with their own agenda. That's what he's doing here. So he may be old, he may be decrepit, but he knows what he's doing politically. And it's funny too, is that <laughs> Chomsky's always saying that, you know, you control society by controlling the language. And I guess Miriam Webster has been listening to Chomsky because they just changed the definition of female. And it says here, and this is a small article from National Review, it says here, Merriam-Webster's online dictionary has caved to the trans agenda and Chomsky in order to appease woke activists. The dictionary published an added secondary definition of female that defines the term as having a gender identity that is the opposite of male. The key term here is gender identity, which demonstrates that Merriam-Webster maintains that gender is not directly connected to sex. A female is a woman. Trans-identifying males are not female. However, according to trans activists, men can be women. So I guess uh, Merriam-Webster has been listening to Chomsky, which they have been over the years. If you notice that uh, they've taken 
a lot of changes to uh, the definition of words. And this is what I want to tell. If there's anything that you can do, and I've done it, go out and get yourself an old set of encyclopedias from 30, 40 years ago, if you can. Go as far back as you can. Get an old set of encyclopedias from back then, because that's the truth. The truth isn't what you see today. What you see the changes in the dictionaries, what you see in the changes in uh, definitions on the CDC or, or these government agencies. You know, I think it was my last episode, I mentioned the CDC, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, they changed the definition of what a vaccine is. So get these old dictionaries, get these old encyclopedias, and just set them away. This is where the truth is, not where these newfangled definitions are found today. And this is why it's so important when Trump comes in that he's going to change the bureaucracy in Washington, because so much of this emanates from Washington. So we shall see. Now, one of the reasons that Chomsky's up in the air about this and about they only have a small window of opportunity to get something done is because everything, every statistic that we see out there from a political standpoint is showing that Hispanics and working class people are moving to the Republican Party. And I just want to uh, read a little bit uh, from a uh, David French article, and it's called The God Gap. And essentially what it says is that those that believe in God are moving toward the Republican Party, in particular the Hispanics. And what's that tell? what does that tell you? What's the converse? Godless people are moving toward the Democratic Party. And climate change is their God. And that's why they're so up in arms on this. This is their religion. Climate change is their religion. Mother Earth is their religion. That is their God. The climate is not a God. God is God. But the Democrats don't realize this. And that's why they're losing so many people to the Republican Party. So, French's article, The God Gap. And what they found is that with minorities, that the more you believe in God, the more you are aligned with the Republican Party. And it really shows itself with Hispanics. And let me just read a little bit here. Moreover, there are good reasons to believe that Hispanic voters will continue to migrate to the GOP. Ray Teixeira. And I'm going to play a clip from him in a few minutes. But he says in this article, it says here, Hispanic voters are far more likely to believe that America is the greatest country in the world, far less likely to support defunding the police, far less likely to believe racism is built into our society, and far less likely to believe that transgender athletes should play on sports teams that match their current gender identity. In most cases, the polling gap is just immense. Now, the magical thing about Trump, and this is a, a I don't know if he's done it on purpose. I, I'm sure that he's aware of it. Trump has a tremendous ability to expand his base into new areas. And he's done that with blacks, Hispanics, Asian Americans. But it is glaringly happening with Hispanics today. And what this article says, it's simply, you know, not only with Trump himself, but it is with the Hispanic belief in God. So with that said, let me just go to a clip. It's uh, Ray Teixeira. He's on CNN, and he's talking about. So let's listen to the clip, and then we'll come back and discuss. This shift is happening, but is it really that big of a problem for Democrats? Yeah, no, I think it's a pretty big problem. I mean, if you look at the realities of American electoral politics, the fundamental political arithmetic and geography of the country, to be losing 
support as much as they are among working class voters in general, Hispanic voters. It's very bad for them. It makes it very difficult for them to cobble together the coalition they need overall and in a lot of states and congressional districts uh, to achieve the political success they want. So it's, it's very non-trivial. I mean, if you look at the New York Times Siena poll, uh, the data show that Democrats are actually losing working class voters as a whole by 11 points and carrying college educated voters as a whole by 23 points. That's a massive shift, a yawning chasm, which suggests that the historic party of the working class in the United States maybe is no longer the party of the working class. And that's a, that's a big problem. I don't think you can win on, on that basis in this country. The other side of it is this erosion with non-white voters, with Hispanic voters especially, but also with black voters. Uh, as, as the Republican Party really hasn't shifted. I mean, from the time Trump has come down the escalator, uh, you know, demonizing immigrants, uh, he has really taken the other strategy. And yet, uh, in 2020, every Republican who flipped a Democratic House seat uh, was a woman or a person of color. Democrats had to retain a core support among white working class voters. And if they couldn't do it, the political arithmetic didn't work for them. In the 2020 election, Hispanic working class voters moved away from the Democrats by 18 points. So this is a big deal. We're continuing to see these shifts as we move into the 2022 cycle. We're seeing it in the New York Times Siena poll um, and other polls. And uh, Democrats can no longer assume that Hispanics assume that we will vote for the Democrats no matter what because they're on our side. That's no longer the case. Look where we are now. Look at the economy and normality. It hasn't turned out that well as far as working class voters are concerned. And you know, you can't eat the infrastructure bill. Well, like someone once said, I'm not uh, leaving the Democratic Party or the left. The left and the Democratic Party to some extent has left me. Basically, uh, what has happened is the Democrats are now associated with a set of issues that you might call, uh, you might characterize as culturally radical and race, gender, crime, immigration, and so on, that I think is contributing to them bleeding working class voters. And it appears that the Democrats are done. Now, when you vote in November, you have to vote like the Republicans are behind. Don't get lazy. You have to come out and vote. You got to get your friends to come out and vote Republican. Just because things are looking good right now, that's not an excuse not to vote in November. And let's take a look at some polls here. The president's job approval rating done by Emerson. We have a disapproval rate of plus 13. We have a Rasmussen report, a disapproval rate of plus 24. Then we have the generic congressional vote, and this is by Rasmussen, and it's a Republican plus 10. And then we have another generic congressional vote, and this is by Emerson, and it's a Republican plus one. And then we have congressional job approval by Emerson. It's a disapproval of 48 points. And then listen, look at what we have here. General election. Trump versus Biden. And this is by Emerson. Not a conservative pollster. And it has Trump plus three. And this is with this J6 shenanigans going on in Washington right now. Now, one of my uh, contacts, they had told me they've got some internal polling being done in the Trump campaign. And their polling tells them that the J6 hearings are actually backfiring on the Democrats. And you shouldn't be surprised. I'm not surprised. 
It's a whole mess. This is just, people see through this. Every normal American sees through this dumb dog and pony show that they have out there. All with the intent of trying to get Trump indicted. I will be very surprised if Merrick Garland indicts Trump. He just doesn't have the cover. Joe Biden is not a strong president. In order for an attorney general like Merrick Garland to indict a former president, he'll need some cover from a strong president, and he's not going to get that from Biden. So everything I've seen, everything that the Democrats seen and the rest of the country have seen, this ain't going to happen. And so all this is is just a political tool, just like the impeachments. It's all a political tool that the Democrats use for whatever purpose. And payback's coming. We should impeach Biden, impeach Mayorkas, and when Kamala Harris screws up, impeach her, and you tie this administration's hands for the next two years until 2024. That's what has to be done. I don't believe in allowing them to self-implode. Just standing back. This is whole theory about, oh, you know, when your opponent's killing themselves, just stand back and watch it let it happen. Well, it's happening. I also believe in greasing the skids. And this is what we have to do in November, after November, after the Republicans take over. Because we have to put this administration to sleep. We have to put this wokeness to bed for good. It has to be crushed. Now, with that said, Steve Bannon was found guilty of contempt of Congress this afternoon. Like, that was something we didn't know. You think a Trump person was going to get a fair trial in Washington, D.C.? And Bannon knew this. This is going to be appealed. Apparently what happened is the judge did not allow the issue of Trump saying that uh, Bannon fell under executive privilege so he couldn't testify. And that was the issue, and, and the judge did not allow that to be part of Bannon's defense. And I think it was a mistake by the judge, but it allows Bannon to appeal this. This could get dragged out for a long time. So we'll see what happens. You know, I think Bannon was prepared for that. Look, Bannon comes out of this as a winner. Even if he has to go to jail, he becomes a martyr. Everybody knows the political game that's going on. And Bannon's paying the price for it. And the thing I like about Bannon, I hope he's allowed to do some segments of the war room from his cell. That would be wonderful. Now, I hope he doesn't go to jail, but if he does, make the best of it a bad thing. So I hope he does segments of his war room out of the jail. But that's all this is. Washington is just all about politics right now. And the insiders, the ones that Trump wants to get rid of, they're the ones that are coming hard and heavy after him. And Bannon's fighting back. And that's what we like about Bannon. Not only is he a brilliant guy, next to Trump, Bannon is the most important person out there with the MAGA movement, with the Republican Party. And the Democrats know this, and the swamp knows it. And I think they made a mistake. They're making a martyr out of Bannon. And he's going to appeal this, and then this thing could get dragged out. And then once the Republicans take over, this thing could take a twist. But Bannon doesn't look worried. You shouldn't be worried. So we shall see. Now, who should be worried more than Bannon is Biden. Now, my sources tell me again that there's a push to get rid of Biden before the November elections. And I think it was four or five episodes ago, I had mentioned the same thing. My contact was saying that, uh, yeah, he's, they, they want him gone. They wanted him gone a month ago, two months ago. 
And what I think they're doing is I think they're holding up this Hunter Biden indictment as a carrot and stick with Biden to get rid of him. And this is how they work in Washington. Behind the scenes, there'll be some kind of deal cut. Uh, We'll back off. Joe, leave. Resign. Don't run. We'll back off of Biden. And that's what happens in a corrupt system. Even though we all want Biden gone, but this is how they work. So the Democrats are starting to eat themselves, which is fine with me. I just, what I just don't like about it is they're using the uh, justice system as a political tool. And I know what goes on. You've got corrupt attorneys that are part of this Hunter Biden investigation. And they're looking to curry favor with the Democratic power in Washington. And they're using their political skills to find out what they want. Whether they should back off Hunter, whether they should push an indictment. And that's what they're doing now. And this whole release that came out earlier this week that said, oh, you know, they're really seriously contemplating some charges against Hunter Biden. That was just a message. That was just a message to Joe. We want you gone, buddy. And we'll see what happens. Now, a lot of this can change if there's such damning evidence or there's one or two attorneys that are part of the group that are indicting Hunter that say, hey, I'm not playing this political game. And that throws a wrench into everything. But that's a battle behind the scenes among those disgusting attorney generals. So we shall see on this one. But, I mean, this is just not coincidence with this Hunter Biden leak. There are a lot of people down in Washington say, okay, it's time to go, Joe. So we shall see. Okay, let's talk about Ukraine for a couple of minutes. I haven't talked about them in a few episodes. So let me just give you an update. Earlier this week, and I want to preface this, is that we all know that Ukraine is one of the most corrupt countries in the world. So there was an article in the Financial Times earlier this week, and it had to do with NATO and the EU were concerned that the arms that we were giving to Ukraine were falling in the hands of criminal organizations, and they were turning around and selling them on the black market. So both the European Union and NATO, they wanted some kind of tracking devices put on these things, or they wanted to set up some type of inventory system where they can track where these armaments are going. Now, in response to this, Zelensky turns around and fires some of his top officials. And let me just read the article on this. And I'm sure it's related to it. But I don't know if this is just a legitimate move or a political move. It says, Ukrainian president, and this is from AP, Ukrainian president Zelensky's dismissal of senior officials is casting an inconvenient light on an issue that the Biden administration had largely ignored since the outbreak of the war with Russia. Ukraine's history of rampant corruption and shaky governance. As it presses ahead with providing tens of billions of dollars in military, economic, and direct financial support aid to Ukraine, encourages its allies to do the same, the Biden administration is now once again grappling with long-standing worries about Ukraine's suitability as a recipient of massive infusions of American aid. Those issues, which date back decades and were not an insignificant part of Donald Trump's first impeachment 
had been largely pushed to the back burner in the immediate run-up to Russia's invasion and during the first months of the conflict as the U.S. and its partners rallied to Ukraine's defense. But Zelensky's weekend firing of his top prosecutor, intelligence chief, and other senior officials have resurfaced those concerns and may have inadvertently given fresh attention to allegations of high-level corruption in Kiev made by one outspoken U.S. lawmaker. And America is a tough situation. You have to say, part of this aid that we're sending Ukraine is paying for the salaries of, of Ukrainian officials. We're paying Ukrainian pensions. We're making Ukrainian pension payments with our money. How are our public pensions here in the United States? Are they 100% funded? Are they fully funded? No. But we'll fully fund Ukrainian pensions with our money. And who knows where that money is going to? You've got criminal organizations that are probably pilfering cash also. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the economy. And my last episode, I was mentioning and I was highlighting that there was a lot of housing data coming out this week. And as I had said, it uh, was going to di- disappoint. The uh, NAHB Home Builders Index came in underperforming. Uh, building permits, housing starts, and existing home sales all came in under expectations. And one thing I wanted to point out about housing right now is that the the median price of homes is still high. And I looked into further detail on why this is happening. And this is an occurrence, I, I believe, that happens late in a building boom to bust. And what happens is, is that the higher-end homes are disproportionately sold, which brings up the median price. So I was looking at the statistics. Year over year, uh, homes uh, that were sold from, I think, zero to a half a million dollars were down significantly, while homes that were sold above a half a million dollars were up significantly year over year. So what that does is that increases the median price. And so the only thing that this is telling us right now is that more expensive homes are being sold. This number eventually will go down as higher value homes will plateau and then fall off. And let's take a look at the leading economic indicators, which came in on Thursday. And the expectation was a negative 0.6%. However, a negative 0.8% came in. It wasn't good. And then we had the PMI services come in significantly under expectation. The expectation was 53, while the actual number came in at 47. And any number under 50 is a contraction. So next week, some things to look at for next week. We, from a housing standpoint, we've got the Case-Shiller Home Price Index. And that uh, should be a little more telling. Then we have consumer confidence. And then we have new home sales. And that's on Tuesday, July 26th. Then on Wednesday, the 27th, we've got pending home sales. And then the Fed is going to come out with their target interest rate. I think most people are thinking a 75 basis point increase, and I'm sure that's what they'll come in at, and that's what I think they'll come in at. And then on Thursday, we've got GDP, gross domestic product, all indications that we are going to have another quarter of economic contraction, and that's generally accepted terminology for a recession. We have initial jobless claims, continuing jobless claims, 
And then on next Friday, we have the PCE inflation index, real disposable income, and the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index. So let's go to the markets and take a quick look. Okay, the Dow finished the week up nearly 2% to 31,899.29. Year to date, the Dow is down 12.22%. The S&P finished up 2.6% for the week to 3,961.63. Year to date, the S&P is down 16.88%. NASDAQ finished up 3.3% to 11,834.11. Year to date, NASDAQ is down 24.36%. The 10-year bond finished down 15 basis points to 2.754%. And I just want to point out that we are still in an inverted yield curve as the two-year note is trading at 2.972%. And again, an inverted yield curve reflects a recession coming. Oil, WTI, finished down 1.71% to $94.70 per barrel. Gold futures, and right now it is 10.46 p.m. on Friday evening. Uh, Gold futures are trading at $1,725.30 per ounce, while silver futures are trading at $18.49 per ounce. Uh, In the crypto market, Bitcoin is trading at $22,830.27. Ethereum is trading at $1,553.58. And XRP. He is right now unchanged at 36 cents. Okay, I want to thank you for listening tonight. And you have a good week, and I will talk to you next Saturday. I'm going to leave you with uh, some clips from Trump's rally tonight in Arizona. So it'll be about two minutes, and I hope you like it. Take care, and thank you for listening. See you soon. The border was the best and the safest in U.S. history. And they've turned it into the worst in U.S. history, maybe of any country. So, I mean, think of it. And instead of being proudly energy independent, which we were just two years ago, we were energy independent. We were even energy dominant. The United States is now a beggar for energy. We're a beggar for energy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Think of it. Energy, the border, Afghanistan, the way we got out. Biden and the radical left have turned calm into chaos, competence into incompetence, stability into anarchy, prosperity into poverty, and security into a total catastrophe. The election was rigged and stolen, and now our country is being systematically destroyed because of it. I mean, look at, look at what has happened to our country in less than two years. Our country is like a different, it's like a different place. It's so sad to see. But first, we have to win a historic victory for the Republican Party this November. When we retake Congress, among our highest priorities must be to end the nightmare Joe Biden has created on our southern border. And your governor, Doug Ducey, has done absolutely nothing to help. Talk about rhinos.
He's all talk and no action, and you'll see what can happen when Kerry Lake becomes your governor. It'll be like day and night. Think of it. They want open borders. They want no voter ID. They want to defund the police. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in oil. They don't believe in the Second Amendment. And then they're supposed to win elections? I don't think so.